Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good morning. Connect kids, you can leave. One of the beautiful things about a day like today when we celebrate Father's Day is because we live in a world today that doesn't always treat fathers the way they should be treated. If you look at the last 20, 25 years, if you look at the sitcoms, you look at the different things on TV, they usually portray dads as a buffoon or someone who's always trying to uh, do something the cheap way or conniving way. It's just, it's not always right. But God sees fatherhood in a whole different perspective. God sees fatherhood in a perspective that is a way that when we as fathers catch it and get it, it's amazing what takes place. I was very close to my mom. So moms, as I talked about dads today, I want you to understand that it takes two individuals. But I want to tell you a little bit about studies, because I do a lot of studies. And the studies is that what makes a wholeness is that God has created the female to be more nurturing. This is not always a criteria. This is just like the study norms, because sometimes even the guy can be more nurturing than the woman. It depends on the relationship. It just depends. But nevertheless, the woman's more nurturing and more like, you know, kids up in the tree. And she's saying, don't hurt yourself. And the man's saying, go, son, a little higher. You can do it. And the man comes along. And as the kid gets older, then that's when usually that's when the man's important value takes place, not just in the younger years, but the older years, and sometimes it switches. But for the most part, both play a part, and when those both are there, a lot of good things take place. Look and, let me give you some studies, just so you understand what I'm going to go with today, help you understand a father's charge. 85% of all men that are in prison right now come from fatherless homes. Lord bless you. Seven out of ten youth that are in state-operated correction facilities come from fatherless homes. 39% of all students in the U.S. from first grade to the senior year high school have come from fatherless homes where the father has not been there. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school. 24.7 million children in the United States live in a home where the biological father is not even present. That really equates to one and three children in the United States not having access to their father. 90% of the youth in the United States who decide to run away from home come from fatherless homes. All these stats have been steady all through the ages. Teen girls from fatherless homes are four times more likely to get pregnant. It's just more likely. They're trying to find that void, trying to find that connection. 75% of all rapists are motivated by a displaced anger, which associated with fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit some type of behavior or disorder come from fatherless homes. These statistics are sad. These statistics are needful to know because 
Dad and I talk to myself, we need to step up. And listen, I know that not everybody had a good childhood. I understand that. I live in the really real, real world. But I do know, but I do know there's a Father in heaven that we can go to. I do know, I do know that even in the brokenness and in the hurt, we can be healed if we go to the Father, which is in heaven. And I do know that, that if we go to the Father in heaven, God will help us to help the children who don't have a mom, who don't have a dad, who don't have grandparents. That means something to me. Not every kid has what they need. But for those who are in the Lord, for you men, it's time for us to be men again. And how does that take place? Well, we're going to learn that from the Father's charge. Because every man can step up to the plate. Every man. I love the saying by one of the originators of the Royal Rangers. He said this, no man stands the tallest, but when he bows his knee to help a boy. I think that's really incredible for all of us to understand. There is another statistic that said this, according to Baptist Press. A father who goes to church, even if the wife does, excuse me, if a father doesn't go to church, even if the wife does, that one child, a one child out of 50, will probably become a worshiper in church. If a father faithfully attends church, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. I want you to understand, if a mother doesn't go to church, but the father does, it's a minimum of two-thirds to two-thirds of their children will end up in church. The father makes a difference. The problem is sometimes I want to commend ladies. Ladies have stepped up a lot. The church of God, if it wasn't for the church of God, I don't know where we'd be today if it wasn't for you ladies. And you ladies know what I'm talking about. But men, we have a gift that comes from God that God just wants men to be men. And don't be afraid about being men like a woman shouldn't be afraid of being a woman. That's who you were created to be. Someone say amen. amen. In another study, it said this. When both parents attend Bible study or small group or if they have Sunday school, 72% of their children will attend small group or Bible study. Simply because if mom and dad did 72%. When only the father attends Bible study or Sunday school or small group, 55% of the children will attend when grown. When only the mother attends Sunday school, the Bible, only 15% of their children when grown. And when... Neither parent attends church or small group or Bible study. And it's just, a ch- just a ch- the child will 6%. What I'm trying to say is that every statistic that's out there, and this has been across the ages and times. These statistics are done all the time. This statistic here is about seven years old. But it's the same. The influence that a man can have on his family, leading the family, is crucial. Uh, let, me, let me share this with you. I thought this was really important, and I just want to lay down a little bit of a foundation what I'm talking about this morning, if you just bear with me. There was an, another survey. It says, a child, if a child is first 
in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5 probability that everyone in the household will follow. Now, I've seen some great things because kids get saved. Come into the household. They're so full of love and loving Jesus. The parents say, man, what's happened to you? I want to go to church if this is what happens. And I've seen that a lot. Statistics says 3.5. If a mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. But listen to this. When the father is first, there is a 93% probability that everyone in the household will follow. It makes that we really, there's no perfect dad. I am not perfect. I am so far from it. But that doesn't give us an excuse not to try. When I had a child, it did not come with the instructions of each child. It came with the B-I-B-L-E, which gives us incredible instructions for being what God's called us to be. But every child is different. And if you had a few, you know exactly what I mean. They're different, which is good. You're different. You're probably different from your own family members. Look at your neighbor and say, that's true. (laughs) So today, we want to talk about a father's charge. And I want you to, we're going to go back to King David, as King David is going to talk to Solomon. Now, King David's about about to die. Now, one of my requests, one of my requests, and this is going to be a morbid thought for some of you, I'm sorry. But one of my requests that I've asked the Lord is that I want to have the last word. (laughs) I want to have the last word, my exhortation, my last word to say, you know what? After living so many years, this is what I've learned. Focus here. This is exactly what David's doing. God gave David that moment. And so David's about to die. He's coming close. He brings all his leaders together and he brings his son Solomon the next king, or he was actually in the kingship at the time, the next king for Israel. And he wants Solomon, very important, is he wants Solomon to continue what God has started because, see, David wanted to build the tabernacle, the temple for the Lord. But because David was a man of war, God said, you cannot build my temple, David, because you are a man of blood. Solomon was a man of peace. He only had problems when he went away from God, and then all of a sudden enemies rose up at his end of years. But if you look at the life of Solomon, God blessed Solomon incredible and gave him peace on every side. He was really a king of peace. It wasn't until he turned from God and started serving all of these foreign gods that God rose up enemies in his life, and there was problems. So David is bringing Solomon and saying, listen, Solomon, I want you to understand this is very important of building this temple and David did all type of uh, materials and he got so many things straight I mean he really worked hard David put a lot of work into the tabernacle into the temple and so he gets them all together and he's really concerned and he gives them this exhortation so we're going to go to this portion of scripture you can look on the screen first chronicles chapter 28 and we're going to really look at verse 9 and I'm just going to touch a little bit on 10 in the end 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all imaginations, motives of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. I want you to get that for a second. I'm going to break this down because what was... King David really trying to say to his son Solomon, 
The first point I want you to understand is David was saying, know your God of your fathers. Know God. Look in the beginning there. It says, and Solomon, my son, know the God of your fathers. This is huge. This is gigantic. Because David knew that Solomon was young. David knew he needed to learn state of affairs. David knew he needed to know where to get wisdom. Who can he trust? David knew that his son was going to face a lot of issues because he knew what it was to be, to be king. But one of, the, one of the things he wanted him to know is know God. You see, most people want peace. But if you know God, you'll know peace. A lot of times people are trying to do this and trying to do this and try to get this and try to win this. No, get God in the right perspective. And that's really important. Dads, if you could do anything, anything. It's not about teaching a, a kid how to swing and hit a ball. It's not about how you can throw a football. It's not about how you can get a hockey puck through a net or a soccer ball through a net. It's not, that's not the biggies. It's not about if they make it to pro and they do this great thing, but they don't know God. We miss it. We miss it. We miss it because God is the reason we live and have our being, isn't it? I mean, think about it. This little world we have here, do we just have to live for ourselves and just survive the next day? Is that what life's about? Survival? I just want to make it? Is that No, there's so much more. It's a relationship, right? It's a relationship with God. And 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 we need to know God. I can't give I can't give my kids something that I don't have. Okay. I, if he said, Dad, I, I, I need it, uh, Aaron. He wants a new truck. Can I have the money? It's only, and I like when kids you say, it's only. Dad, it's only. I hear that a lot. You know, it's only. I've got a new phone. It's only $900. It's only. And I ask him, how much do you have? And the kids say, uh, I got $10. Your only is a big stretch. It's only. But the reality is I can't give what I don't have. See? But do you remember James and John? They come into the temple and they see this person begging. And all of a sudden he wants money. And then guess what he has? He says, he's a silver and gold. I don't have. But what I do have, I give unto you. What happened? He had a changed life. You see the difference? That the God wants to change lives in the midst of you knowing God. Because when you know him, you share him. He's the most important thing to you. Why? Because you know what he's done for you. I, I don't know about you, but that's, that's the most important thing. So you say, okay, how can I be the best dad? Or you say, like I can say, well, my kids are grown. Yeah, they're grown doesn't mean they don't need me anymore. But how many kids are around you? How many kids around you that come that may don't meant not have somebody? Can you adopt them? Can you take them into your life? Can you allow them to lose your hair a little bit? They will. <laughs> There's a scripture that I like that says, Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, come unto me, all you heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, God's always inviting us to come. So if you want to know God, God's already said, come to me. And he'll teach you. The question is, how much do you want to know God? How much do you want to know him? How much time do you spend with him, right? Uh, write this down. If you have a pen, this is worthy of writing because if you capture this, it can change your life. Relationship grows or fades away because relationship is only as strong as your time 
you spend together and the depth of your communication. I don't care what relationship. Your relationship is only going to grow. The depth of your relationship is the time you spend together and the depth of your communication. If you spend no time and have great communication on the phone or this because of distance, that's okay, that will survive a short time. But both is needed. It's the same thing with your Heavenly Father. If you want to give your child something or give a child in your neighborhood something and make a difference, then spend time in his presence on a daily basis. Get to know the God who loves you. That's exactly what David's trying to say to Solomon. Get to know God. Know him. Don't, know, don't be on my shirt tails because you can't get into heaven by someone's shirt tails. Look at the neighbor and say Amen. Everybody has a bona fide relationship with God by themselves. And when they stand before God, they're by themselves. Can't say, but that person there, if it wasn't for that person, that no, that's not going to work for you. If you want a relationship, relationship grows or fades because of the lack of time and the lack of depth of relationship. That goes horizontally and that goes vertically. vertically. And, and David's really trying to say to Solomon, Solomon, listen... If you want to be a successful king, you're not going to be able to do it by your skills. Now, at this time, he hasn't got the gift that God gives him with great wisdom. You can't even get it with people that are around you, good people around you. You can get fired with good people around you. But still, success is not guaranteed. But, Solomon, if you can really know God, can you know God of your fathers? You know, um, one of the things that's really important is that each one of us need to know about God. Just teaching the other day on grace and the understanding of how we truly understand what grace really is, what God really done for us. And the more you understand what God has done for you, it will change your life. I don't know about you, but God is holy, God is pure, God is ever-present, and He's always with you. He never leaves you nor forsake you. Is that true or not true? But when you feel a problem or you have a circumstance or a situation comes your way, do you feel like God has left you? Or do you really believe he's still with you in the midst of the storm? See, by knowing God, God does not leave your situation or circumstance when troubles come. Hello? You remember the, four, uh, the three men thrown in the fire? Turned into four men? Guess who was waiting for them when he, they're thrown in the fire? Jesus. He was already in the fire. I need you to know, David's saying, Solomon, you need to know God. And we as fathers, we as men, need to teach people about God by example and by what God says. You have to know it in you. got to have it in you in order to give it. Look, look, at, look at one of the examples we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is important. This portion is really important, but let me just pick this out. In chapter 6, it says, And these words which I command you today, this is talking about the law that God gave to the people of Israel, shall be in your heart. Someone say, in my heart. Okay, watch this. Then he gives a command. You shall teach these degrees, they just got done telling the law of the Lord, teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's not talking about anything from this world. It's talking about the things of God. Because people need to know what God says in order to know what God wants them to do. 
You've got to teach it. It's taught before it's caught. And so, so often we live our lives. Can I say this? If, if your child or someone in your family, what area would they say, yes, I see God in that area? Yes, I see God in that area. What area of your life that your children would say, I see, I watch the life and I see God in this area? Because we should be an illuminator of what's inside our hearts. And what's in us should come out of us. Not when we have a good day, but when we have a bad day. It's so easy to go through the motion when you have a good day. See, what will they carry on? You know, I was, uh, now that my mom and my dad have passed, you know, as you get older, not me, but as you get older. There are some people getting older. Ah. <laughs> but you remember things, because sometimes you forget them, and then they come back to you. And you remember things. And I remember all the different things, and, 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 and some of the funny things as well. Which made me think about when I was growing up and when we were looking at our, doing our kids. See, it was tough growing up. Um, it was tough when God called me from security. I had more money than I knew what to do with when I was young. I had two jobs while 16. I, everybody loved hanging with me because I always had cash. Always had cash and a lot of it. I spent a lot of money when I was young. A lot on cars, motorcycles, boats, all kind of stuff. A lot on restaurants. And then one day, one day, here I am. My plan was to retire before what I am now. I've already been retired according to my plan that I first started out. And I would have been. And I would retire at 55. That was my goal, to retire at 55 and do whatever my little heart intended. That was my plan. And I was on my way. I was doing good. I had more toys at my age than most people had. They were paid off. They weren't toys that I owed on. They were all paid off. But nevertheless, God got a hold of my heart in the process of things. In the midst of it, he took me out of all comfort. He took me on a road that was very hard where I had to depend on him for 12 years of my life. Man, when I say depend, I mean not sure how this is going to happen. Not sure how the food's going to come in. Not sure how this is going to get paid. Not sure of this. I had no plan because I had nothing to make a plan. But all I knew is God said, can you trust me? Can you trust me? And you know, it got terrible. When I sold my show van, I had a little bit of cash because it was worth a little bit. And I, I, and I couldn't get a job. I went everywhere in the city. I can do a lot of things. Nobody hired me. The day my last dollar was there, they hired me. And I said, you know, God, I don't like this. You could have hired me and I could have had some cash in the bank. But no, no, you thought it was best that I go right to the wire and then I get a job. Nevertheless, I thought my journey was over. It had just begun. 
because two weeks just coming in the call of God, God told me, sell everything, put away everything and follow me. And I said, okay, not knowing where I'm going, not knowing nothing. I didn't even know the place where I needed to go. I asked my wife, hey, where's Missouri? I have to go there. (laughs) They didn't even know. She says, it's right there. I'm like, that's in the middle of the U.S. Wow. Okay, God, sold it all. And then two weeks, major surgery, big tumor in her, in her head. Not knowing anybody in the city, going to school, sold everything. And you say, God, you do this? Really? Really? And sometimes it gets tough and you don't understand why. But you got to know God. Because it was knowing God that made the difference when I was at my table and I just broke down. When I was younger, I would never cry. And if I did cry, I'm about to kill you. (laughs) But then when God saves me, then I'm a big baby. Now he makes me cry at the softest thing that hits my heart. That gift I'm not overly appreciated of sometimes. It comes at the worst moments in life. But that being said... When you look what God is doing, God is working things out, even in midst of what we're going through. This is the point. The, the point is you have to trust him. And while we were going through these moments of trusting God, there was a moment where we had a lot of debt from hospital bills. We had a lot of hospital bills. The joke was, hey, it's quiet. What's happening next? Next. We, we just constantly... And so we told the kids, often we shared our prayer requests with the kids. We let them know at times where we were. I remember going to a four-day prayer meeting with um, a bunch of pastors in the city. We were just going to pray for the city because the city needed to be touched. And so I, at that time, was working. I was at the church, and I created my own business side job to offset costs. And... So that being said, it was really difficult there. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go pray for four days. And I did. And it was a beautiful time. And they had what they call a hot seat. And there was a hot seat. And how that worked was if you had a need, you could sit in the hot seat. And you could, we pray for you. And God said, I want you to sit in the hot seat. And I'm like, yeah, God, I don't think so. Mm-mm-mm. And they said, I want you to sit in the hot seat. I said, I'll tell you what, Lord. I mean, I was Bob Bacher that day. I said, God, I'll sit in the hot seat. All right. All right. You want to sit in the hot seat? I'll sit in the hot seat. But there's got to be nobody sitting. And if no one sits in it, I will sit in it. Day one, loaded people. They had some problems. I felt like, God, I am not sitting in that seat compared to some of those problems. No way. I have some problems with finances. But you know what, God? I, I'm trusting you. Second day, full of stuff. Full of people, big problems. Third day, a lot of people in the chair. Fourth day, seat opens, nobody goes to the chair. And I said to myself, oh, this is not good. So I waited, and God says, it's your time. I'm like, ah, no, this is somebody else. This has to be somebody with a problem. <laughs> they need to sit in the chair. Nobody went to the chair. Finally, I said, okay, I got up. That chair was 12 miles away from me. That's how it felt. I sat in the chair. And when I got in the chair, I don't know what happened to me, but I carried a lot upon my shoulders. I carried a lot upon my heart that only me and God really knew. And when I sat in that chair, I started to communicate the constant weight that was carried. Constant weight here and constant weight there. Problems over here, problems over there. And as I sat in the chair, 
I broke. I broke in a very heart broke. And before you know it, as I just didn't tell him details, I just told him the weight of the financial pressure in every single area of my life. And I had a list. Before I knew it, people were throwing money into my lap, stuff in my shirt, stuff in my pocket. Before I hear it, and all of a sudden, they had an offering plate, and they shoved it in my hands. And when I finally came to, because I was in a blur, I was kind of lost in this moment. It was like a moment. And these are all denominations of people coming together, and they, they raised up so much money that I paid every single bill off. But when I got home, I shared the money with the kids, and I had them, and we all threw it up in the air. We were celebrating, you know? And I'm like, and they were having some fun, and I'm thinking, hey, hey, don't throw it too much. I don't want to lose anything. Hey, get up, you know? But we shared it. We shared the, the pain, the good, and the bad. We shared it because we're in it as one, and sometimes you have to own it as a family. Hey, this is where we're at. And this is important, but you got to know God. you got to know God. It's really important. It, watch this now. Said, you shall teach them diligently, diligently, it says, to your children. You need to teach them. Constantly teach them. Spend time with them. Let's look on the next thing. After you know your God, serve him. You've got to serve him with a perfect heart and with the will of mind. As soon as you see perfect, I know what happened to you. You checked out. You said Perfect. What do you mean perfect? Well, perfect doesn't mean perfect that you're thinking about. Perfect is a person who's lined up a desire to please God. Do you have a heart to please God? I mean, a real heart to please God. Now, you might make mistakes. Welcome to the real world. But you have a heart to please God. Lining up to what God's word says. You have a desire for God. That's all God wants. God's not asking you to be a perfect man. He's not asking you to be a perfect woman, but he's asking you to have to be like David, a man off the God's own heart. He's asking you, will you learn of me first, taste and see, for the Lord is good? And you say, well, I've been at it for a little while. You know, Pastor, I, I kind of know, you know, I kind of know that stuff. Oh, please, give me a break. I'm still learning. I know the stuff. I'm always in the stuff, and I'm still growing. I'm still learning. You're never there. We're all in the same room, and that's room for improvement. But do you want to be improved? What are you doing to improve? People who want to be a better sports player in a particular sports will practice. People who want to build their muscles and build their body will, will lift weights and, and do some type of resistance. Can you tell all my resistance trailing? <laughs> Picking up that four-pound cookie was hard today. <laughs> you see, people end up doing things for things what do you do to grow in your relationship with God? What do you do? What are you doing to grow in your relationship with God? You say you want to serve God? Serve God comes with an action. It's serving. People want to be served, but people don't want to serve. It's really interesting. But God wants us to serve. It says here in Psalms 100, a beautiful psalm, make a joyful, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, and serve the Lord with fatness. Oh, Gladness. Then why is it sometimes we all serve the Lord with sadness? You know, we have a situation and all you do is think of the negative things. All you want to do, you, you go around focusing on the negative. Can you focus on the positive? What's in the positive? This is what's really important. Serve him from a perfect heart. This is what a perfect heart means. When you serve Christ with a heart 
that is attuned to his will, that you don't serve God half-heartedly. Let me show you something. Remember this? Sometime back, I did a sermon about passing on the baton. When you serve God, it's like passing on a baton to your children. Because what is it? They're watching your service. They're watching your dedication to God. How do you respond in a good time? How do you respond in a bad time? How do you do this? And when you make a right decision, you pass the baton. You pass the baton. So, Aaron, why don't you come here? I was going to pick on John, but I got my son here, so I'm going to just get a real analogy, a real analogy here. Okay, stand right there on the top there. So, so all of a sudden, I've just gone through something difficult, okay? Let's just say um, uh, I just, my car caught on fire, okay? My car caught on fire. I, I like my car. It's a really great car. It caught on fire, and now I'm bummed out. Now, I could respond two different ways. I could get mad. I could blame something. Uh, I could just, you know, have a hissy fit because of it. Or I could say, well, my car caught on fire. Well, Lord, it's in your hands. You'll have to work things out. Now, he's going to see both responses. He's going to see whether I lose a cool or a car. Oh, here's a good one. I'm driving down the road and someone cuts in front of you. How many failed that one already? Right? Or someone does something unkind, how do you handle it? However I handle it, good or bad, I'm passing a baton to him. And he's grabbing it because of what I'm doing. He is learning from me. Now, if my example is good, it'll be good. But if my example is bad, it'll be bad. Why? Because people always think at the end of life is when we pass the baton. You know, when I die, I now... Pass the baton to you. Carry, go forth with mighty waves. You know, no, that's not how it is. It's really in the small stuff. How I respond during my troubles. So I respond good, he catches it. He said, yeah. I remember a time with one of my sons, and he just turned 13. He just turned 12. It was 12 or 13. And we were about to play miniature golf. And all of a sudden... He was just one day, and he said to me, Dad, you could get it cheaper if we go, if you say, I'm this age. I'm only that age by one day. <laughs> you see? Excuse me. Let me say. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, I'm saying, son, but I know that you're not that age. You're a new day. Now you're 12 and 11 and under, so we're going to pay the full price. <laughs> he gets it. You see what I mean? And that's a true story. But I want you to understand. It wasn't me. What? <laughs> I wasn't going to tell him that. No, it wasn't him, actually. But the reality is a true story. You see, oh, his one's him. Hey, watch this. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, he drives his little bicycle at four years old, miles and miles away from the house. And, five years old. Five years old. Gets on a 20-inch little bike, 16-inch little bike. Goes through terrible traffic. Now, I could flip out, take his bike away for his lifetime, take away his license so he never drives. And he, he said, my dad, he acted so off the cuff on that. Man, gee whiz, he wasn't even reasonable. Because I responded. Now, all of a sudden, how did it respond to him? 
We pass it. When we're serving God, God helps us to be able to serve and we can pass it on. But, but saints, listen to me. It's not in at the end of life you're passing on. You're passing the baton every single day, the way you respond to every problem. And the only way you get better is you go through your problem. You understand, what would God want me to do? Because now he has the baton. And not only with that one baton, it has memories of how I responded, how I reacted. Was I a light? Was I salt? Did I do good? Did I do bad? This is the key to growing in our relationship with God in passing the baton. It is not just in life I now pass on. It's every decision. We pass the baton. Now watch this. It can go both ways. Because I'd say he's learned something from me. I passed the baton, and all of a sudden now I go through something, and I'm having a bad day. He says to me, hey, Dad, you remember this and that, and this is what happened? You said this to me, and you said that you just need to trust him, even if you don't understand. He now passes the baton back to me, and now I remember what I said, and that brings encouragement to me. It goes both ways. But in order for it to go both ways, it has to be on both sides of the fence to take place in a relationship. Amen? It's good. So, so often we think of servanthood as just one way, but it's in every aspect. And a perfect heart is a heart to line up with God. And here's this little word there. Look at that word. Willing. Willing. Are you willing to serve God? Is it voluntary? Are you drafted? Huh? Are you drafted in God's service? You know what? I don't want to be here, but God says I have to be here. Let me tell you something. You're all here at church. One of the greatest things in the world that you could do for your children is make church important. Make God important. You show up because God is important. That will have such huge dividends on a life because you put God first. I can't tell you how many times I've seen families say to me, yeah, we can't go because we have a game. We can't go because we have tournaments. We can't go because we have beach. We can't go because we're going to do this. I can't go. We can't go because we overslept. We can't go because we're tired. Let me tell you something. When God's not first, it is passed on to the next generation. I guarantee it. Because what's not important to you, check this out, the statistic says is that what is passionate in one generation is even less in the next, unless they truly have an encounter with God. It's important. It's important. It's very important. So be willing. Don't just serve God because you have to. I'm, well, I've been drafted. You know, I'm doing it. I'm grudgingly. I'm going to do it because, you know, pastor wants me to do it. But boy, I wish I could go fishing. Well, me too. <laughs> me too. Please let me in the club. But responsibility must be first because why? I have a love of God. God's first. When God is first, he's never going to be second. And I know we're all tempted sometimes because of our own personality and our own laziness and stuff. But that is a discipline that if you do not conquer, it will rule your life day and day and day and week and week and month and year. Discipline is not bad. Discipline is your friend. When you put the right things 
in place. God will bless you. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Look at this portion of scripture. For the Lord searches all hearts. Look around. Just look around. God's searching all your hearts. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Have you ever been at a red light and you look at all these people or been in a stadium and you've been here at 20,000, whatever amount of people, and you look and go, wow. God sees the hearts of all these people all at one time. Did that just mess you up? When I look at all the stars and the moon, the planets, all the things that your eye beholds, what is man that you're mindful of him, O Lord? It's amazing, totally amazing. But here we have it. Here we have this incredible portion right here that God searches the hearts. One of the best scriptures, there's two scriptures I love about this, is Jeremiah 17.10. The Lord says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. And examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. I, the Lord, examine the heart. That means you don't examine people's hearts. Because you and I don't always know what's in the heart. But God knows what's in your heart. And that's a good thing. My favorite story about God knowing the heart is a story when King... Saul was not being a good king, and God said, that's it, you're done, we're going to get another king. And Samuel has to go anoint King David. And so he goes into this family of Jesse, and he sees all the brothers and stuff, and he sees Eliab. And this is what he says when he sees Eliab. When he sees Eliab, he, he has this moment, and he is surely, surely the anointed stands before the Lord today, because he's a man. He looks like a king. Do I look like Superman? You know how Superman flies over the dump? Okay. So here's the king. Here's the king, and, and he's about to be picked. But in Samuel, sees someone who looks like a king, and they're surely, ha ha, look at the shoulders on that guy. Look at the chin. He just looks like, oh, he's a, he's a warrior. And God says, nope. And this is the word he used. I reject him. Wow. Reject. So people sometimes will come up to me and say, that the, the Lord can rejects people. That's pretty harsh. Well, if you understand what it means by reject, reject means that this is not the man for the job. There might be another job for him, but this is not the man for the job. How many of you would like to be a brain surgeon? If they were picking brain surgeons, would they pick you? No, you probably would not pick anybody in this room to do a brain surgery, would you? <laughs> No, so what you're saying, you reject everybody in this room. How crude of you. You see, the reality is that this was not the man. Though he looked kingship, he didn't have the goods to be a king. Why? God wasn't looking on the outside. He was looking on the inside. And this is what God said to the prophet, which is so amazing. Do not consider his appearance, his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart, not this. It's really the soul that makes up the being. The cardia just pumps. It's another story, another lesson for another day. But the soul of the man is the heart of the man. 
And God says, I look at the whole person, and even though he looks like a king, he's not it. And there comes this little ruddy little guy named David. And that's the guy. Why? Because he had a heart that God was looking for. A heart that would obey. A heart that would seek. A heart that would listen. Was he perfect? Nope. But did God continue on him and stay with him? Yep. And to this day, great things take place in David because he was a man that loved the Lord immensely. He knew God. And he's passing this on to his son. Listen, you're going to know God. You've got you to have that heart right. You have to be willing. Don't just do things out of the motion. Do things because it means something. God searches your heart and he knows the motives of your heart. Sometimes we can do things and we do it because, well, it's the right thing to do. But inside we're grumbling. Have you ever grumbled when you did something kind? Don't tell me. God already knows. <laughs> Look at this part here. If you seek him, this is the real strong, this is strong words. If you seek him, he'll be found. What situation right now, right now in your heart, and your life, do you need God to do something? What area of your life do you need God to do something? God says, that's what he's saying to his son. Listen, if you seek him, God will show up. God will show up. Do you believe that he's going to show up? Because that's the problem sometimes. We don't believe. And because we don't believe, we don't receive. Because we're not trusting him. This is really important. In Chronicles, chapter 2, 2 Chronicles, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed, he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, all you Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He's just saying this. Listen. If you seek the Lord, you're going to find God. So I don't care what problem you have. Lord knows I have learned this. You've got to seek him and keep it constant. Keep it steady. If you're going to serve God according to your atmosphere, you're going to be all over the place. Because you're living your life by feeling and not about faith. It's about faith. Our Heavenly Father is committed to his children. He calls to us. He's always there. He is consistent. He protects and provides and goes before his children when his children go to him. Love is always reaching out to you. It's up to us for our love to reach back to him. They call that relationship. He is an active listener. And he desires to spiritually equip his children. Let me close with this. There's a book by Ken Canfield. And he has seven areas of effective fathers and this is what he says he's a seven he says effective fathers will first and mostly spiritually equip their children commit to their children be committed to their children know their children because if you're committed you got to be connected you got to be connected one of the things I promised myself in ministry I'll, I'll just tell you right now there's a lot of learn one of the things that kids taught me one day they were involved in Salvation Army basketball game. And it was a, a good, big deal, and it, it was a lot of fun. And they had a banquet, and it was on Sunday night. And I've told this story before. It was on Sunday night. And they automatically assumed I had to preach, therefore I wouldn't be at the banquet. 
but I told them I was going to be at the banquet. And they just flipped out. They're like, no way. You come into the banquet on Sunday night, and you're not going to preach? I'm like, yeah. Other people could preach. I don't have to preach. The church people, they could preach. And then they said this, which rocked me. It was the greatest thing that ever took place. He said, oh, Dad, we just thought that preaching was more important than us. And I said, oh, where did I go wrong for them to see that or think that? So it was a great moment for me where I just sat down and just said, hey, if I ever communicated that preaching is more important to you, my first calling, my first um, command of the Lord is to raise up you. What I do is secondary. Who I am is primary. And so I said, forgive me. If, I, if you think that the church or the ministry is more important than you, that I'm sorry. It was the greatest thing that ever took place because I didn't know they had that mind frame. Do you remember that? I didn't know that, but that's how they felt because they know that I'm passionate about the church. They know that I'm passionate about God. They know I'm kind of all in. And I am. But not to the point to, to say that they're not, they're not, that the church is more important. No, God gave me you. Literally, he gave this one because he was the first one. God gave me you before he gave me anything else, before he even called me. You see, and sometimes we have to be sensitive to those things to learn, but we have to seek him. And sometimes we make mistakes along the way, and it's okay to make a mistake. Someone say amen. amen. Sometimes we make mistakes and stuff, but the problem is not the mistake. The problem is we don't learn from them. All we do is repeat them over and over and over again. And then all we do is complain, complain, complain. And all we say we're miserable because this is that, because this is that. But we don't do anything about it. We keep doing the same things, expect something different. Won't happen until you're dedicated to doing it right. It's okay to make a mistake. Because you learn. But you don't stay in the mistake. Amen? So you gotta, you got to be committed to your children and connected to your children. And connected is communication. If they didn't communicate that to me, I would have never known. Consistent, you have to be consistent in your attitudes and your behavior. You have to be protective and provide. You have to love their mother. Man, best thing you can do for your child is love their mother. And this is the biggie. You have to be not passive listeners, but active listeners. I could have been a better listener as a dad. I was very focused and motivated and Direction-oriented, task-oriented. And sometimes being task-oriented, all you see is a task. you got a task. you just, you got the task. Task-oriented people are great, but we all have the strengths and weaknesses. Amen? In verse 10, it says, Take heed now, the Lord has chosen you to build the house of the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Once we teach our children, and everything we go through, some things you have to go through a lot more. You're passing the baton, and they're learning. There's a day where they keep the baton. And they have to go on and pass it on to the next generation. If it's not passed on to the next generation, then it's lost. That's why it's so important. That's why men, you play a big part in the life of your child. So you say to me, well, I don't, I'm not a communicator. Stop giving yourself that excuse. Stop allowing you taking an excuse and giving yourself a way out. 
I am so much against way out. There's a lot of things I don't like to do, and I do them just because I'm supposed to. I'm going to say, well, you know, that's just not me. I don't do those kind of things. I have a Greek word for you. It's three words. Get over it. The other one is move on and learn. See, that's the bottom line. Stand to your feet, could you? We have a heavenly father who loves us. We have a heavenly father who so desperately loves us. And I don't know about you, but I want you to know the heavenly father. Those watching online, listen, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much that he died upon the cross for you. But it's not enough to know him in here. Just know about God. It's not about knowledge. It's about heart. Do you love God where God is first? Someone say God is first. first. You see, God has to be first. Because one day we will see him for who he is. That's why Jesus Christ came. Those watching online, those here today, listen. God wants a relationship with you. The depth of your relationship, remember, will grow or fade determined on how much time you spend and how deep your conversations are. If you don't spend time with God or talk to God, your, your depth in God will be shallow. People think they can just know a little and be okay. No, that's not relationship. That's like in a relationship here. How strong will a husband and wife be? How strong will a friendship be if you do not have time and communications? If you want something rich, if you want something strong, then you have to do those things, those ingredients that make something rich and strong. The first thing in God is yield to him and say, God, here I am. I'm a sinner. Anybody, is there anybody in the room has made a mistake? You've sinned before God. Anybody? A couple of you. Well, that's good to know. But thank God he came to forgive us of our sin. And if you, right now, have never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, those online and those here, you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, close your eyes right where you are. Right where you are. You say, right now, you've never surrendered your heart. You've never given in. you never yielded your whole heart. You just, a little bit, a little here. God just wants all your heart. Come as you are. God never wants you to clean up before you come to him. He does the cleaning. He does the work. He does what you need. He'll take you right the way you are. That's God. That's God. And then he will touch you and help you. And there'll be a transformation that takes place in you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to, And say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I need you. Say that. I need you. I need you, God. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. On the third day, you rose again. I accept all that you've done. I am yours. If you said that prayer, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Yes. Yes. Those by internet, raise your hand. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly where you are. Let's pray. Father, I just ask right now that you would touch each individual as they have a heart and a desire for you, that they would put you first, God. I ask right now that they would get into that word every day to learn of you, to know that you are a healer, you are a strength, you are the Lord, and you are God. We thank you for forgiving us 
on dying on a cross and raising on the third day. We give you praise. We give you glory. Now, Lord, we are yours. Now, Lord, help us to learn and grow. May your Holy Spirit lead us and infill us to do great works for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give God some praise in the house of the Lord? Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.